Oh my god, that's funny. Holy god, that's funny. Oh my god. <laughs>
love him or loathe him, um, he has a lot of really good ideas and, and really knows how to take an argument to the nth level. But the problem sometimes is the volume. I don't think you have to scream to get your point across. You can get, your voice can certainly be elevated, as mine is a lot here on Unscripted. I just don't think that you have to scream as much as he does. But he is now, as Chris just mentioned, ESPN's highest paid talent. He is at $10 million a year. He has the, uh, the, the morning talk show, I can't but take something, with uh, first Max take. first take, thank you, with Max Kellerman and that fine-looking girl. I can't remember her name, but she's a hottie. Then he has his own talk show during the day called the Stephen A. Smith Show. He's going to be part of the ESPN uh, Studio Basketball NBA Basketball team this year. He's going to be all over ESPN. He's going to put his fingerprints on everything, and I'm still trying to determine if that's a good or bad thing. But obviously, he's very passionate about what he believes in. The thing that I like about him is that if he does say something preposterous or something that doesn't uh, quite go the way he anticipated that it was going to go, I appreciate that he's manned, he, he'll man up and say, hey, I made a mistake, or hey, I was a fool here. I can appreciate that. You will never, ever, ever, ever in this business or in any walk of life, you will never be 100 for 100. You will never be perfect. So... Um, he, he recognized that a long time ago. Um, and obviously I have my issues with ESPN. My issues with ESPN are hiring guys like Joe Tessitore and, and Anthony McFarlane as example. Uh, I do like, generally speaking, I do like, uh, their lead anchor on their evening time sports center shows, which is anchored by Van Pelt. I like him generally speaking. He even says some dumb things along the way though, but um, I think that uh, he is going to bring the numbers up, and that's what any buddy in this business wants. You want your numbers up. The one thing that, even when, in my case, Ron Barr could never fire me as much as he wanted to because my numbers were fabulous when I worked for Sports Byline. And so he would have to sit there and listen to me bitch about him and make fun of him and laugh at him and call him a no-talent no hack. But <laughs> my numbers were good. My numbers kicked the hell out of Ron Barr's, and so that's why Ron Barr never fired me. He put up with me and would tell me things that, Mike, if, if this continues to happen, I'm going to have to lower the boom. Okay, Ron, go right ahead. Go right ahead. I'm just going to go in the studio and do my show and have more people call me in one hour that call you in a week. Next topic, sir. <laughs> sure. Okay. Onion Sports Network at Onion Sports. Nick Saban undergoes cosmetic procedure to unfold arms. <laughs> um, Nick Saban has had a tough week. Um, the media scrutiny this week involving with a big game like that is being played right now in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, between uh, LSU and Alabama, I mean, obviously there is as much media attention if there would be if this was a playoff game this week because there are obvious playoff ramifications from this game. A lot of people, I was reading this morning on different media outlets saying that even the loser of this LSU-Alabama game will still have some hope of making the four-team playoffs. I disagree with that. I think that you should have to be undefeated. I just, 
I mean, I know Ohio State uh, won a championship in 2014 as a one-loss team. I know Alabama has lost, uh, as excuse me, has won a national championship as a one-loss team in the last four or five years of this college playoff system. But Saban has been under the microscope, uh, microscope this week. Every media outlet in the States has descended upon Tuscaloosa, Alabama this week because of this LSU and Alabama game. And uh, they're going to try to find something and dig up something on every topic possible this week because every college football fan's eyes, at least had one eyes, one eye focused on Tuscaloosa, Alabama this week. And we're going to find out a whole bunch of weird and crazy stuff about Coach Saban. All I'll say is this, and all it really needs to be said in his years at Alabama, he has been the most successful Alabama football coach since the great Bear Bryant. And I think that's all that needs to be said. All right, for the win at for the win. So Dwight Howard had an addiction. Did you hear about what he was addicted to? No, I didn't. Like no. severely addicted no, to no. candy and sugar. Really? Yes. Oh. Like it was so bad. So here, first of all, says he's now working out more and he's no longer doing this. This worst thing was chocolate bars or okay. as Americans say, candy bars. Right. Uh, how many candy bars was Dwight Howard eating per day? Per day. Well, when you put it like that, it's got to be in a preposterous number. I'm going to say 25. Whoa, you almost got a 24. Whoa. Nice job. But yeah, apparently like they had to go in and uh, go into his house and he had just had just massive stockpiles of like brand new boxes of chocolate bars. And he'd be constantly like breakfast, lunch and dinner. He's eating M&Ms and he's just constantly eating sugar. And he has this crazy sweet tooth. And it was getting so bad that he was getting like tingling sensations all over his body. And he's getting like medically really bad trouble because just complete sugar overload. So they're saying he's pretty much kicked it now but it was so bad that uh there was that i've just i've never had a sweet tooth i like at once a year at halloween i'll have a few little coffee crisps or something or kit kats and it's like right. okay that's nice or sure. i don't mind m&ms twice a year but uh, i've just never had much of a sweet tooth other than i really do like vanilla ice cream but or like uh, apple crisp or something but other than that i'd rather have more supper than dessert a lot mm. of the time well you uh, know i have a great affinity for reese's peanut butter cups oh, sure well, love them love, damn i love those too um it's funny lebron james has recently come out and said the player that has helped us the most in our seven and one and they won last night to improve to eight and one the los angeles lakers the player that has helped us get off to this terrific start this year an unexpected source was dwight howard Dwight Howard has been an animal on the glass. His defense has been terrific. And the thing about it, whereas when he left L.A. in 2012 as a disgrace, he's come back now, he's accepted his secondary role, and all he wants to do is set picks and play defense and rebound, and that's what the Lakers need him to do. If you can keep Anthony Davis at the four and let him go out and do his things out on the perimeter, and you have that headbanger in the middle and playing that role right now for the Lakers and doing it successfully is Dwight Howard. If they can continue to get that kind of productivity out of Dwight Howard, watch out for the L.A. Lakers. Oh, I got one other news and notes oh, I'm, sure. I'm about candy for you. Sure. just came to my mind. Dion Waiters, he's a backup reserve guard for the Miami Heat, talking about candy fixations. He plays for the Miami Heat. He just had, on the team plane coming back from a recent game, he just had a seizure on the plane 
because he had eaten so many Skittles. <laughs> he literally had a seizure on the plane. Imagine, amazing he had, that... Uh, had a candy overdose, and he literally had a seizure on the team plane because he had consumed so many Skittles. Amazing that's never happened to Marshawn Lynch. Then, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's another are, one. Yeah, yeah, okay. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Eric Stangel at Eric Stangel. Fact. If the Chargers moved to London because of the conversion rate, Philip Rivers would have 13 kids. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, but this is a real story, though. I know it um, is. What do you think about moving the Chargers to London? No. I don't. I don't. I don't want anybody going to London. Well, I know. Sorry, and I was going to say that. I know you don't want anybody going to London, but I have to say that, uh, as much as everyone thought that it would be the Jaguars if someone went, right. if you never and never mind London. Let's say you had to move a team to Mexico City or Toronto or something. If there's one team that can be relocated, it has to be the Chargers. Well, I have it? a solution to everybody's problem. Put them back in San Diego. Put them back in San Diego. Well, how That's about you what... elect a bunch of non-hippies to exactly. your city council, maybe? Exactly. you got a bunch of uh, Nahid Nenshis running city council down there in, in the great city of San Diego, and they've got a bunch of tree-hugging morons that don't want to... They'd rather worried about a few trees and building a new stadium for an NFL football team. The best solution to the problem with this, with the Los Angeles chargers is move them back to freaking San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, if there was a team that I would move to Toronto or Mexico city, because they're in a bad situation, obviously the Los Angeles chargers come to mind, but I have another one that comes to mind okay. as well. And I think that <clears throat> potentially somewhere down the line in, I, I, I don't know. This is just more of a gut feel than anything. But I believe that someday, some way, a team that could be moved to either one of those markets might be the Tennessee Titans. Hmm. The reason is, is that I don't think, I mean, they draw well, but they're not, they don't draw like rock stars in Nashville. Nashville is one of those cities that people come to listen to the music and play music and do their thing. And, and if the Titans aren't really playing well, I think they're an afterthought. Um, there's a reason that there are no other, I mean, I know that the Nashville Predators are there, obviously, but I just, I just don't know, uh, you know, the, the Adams family, and I don't mean that as a joke, that's the Bud Adams family, the daughter runs the team now, Bud Adams passed a couple of years ago, but the Adams family, and no, it's not Morticia and, and, uh, whatever, it's the Adams family, but the daughter runs the team now. I just have a gut feeling. This team has really done, you know what, Jack, you know what all since they moved from Houston years ago. They played at the university or they played at Vanderbilt University for a couple of years before their new stadium was, was built in the late 1900s and into the 2000s. But I just, I don't get the warm and fuzzies from the ten Tennessee Titans. And obviously some of that is because of my disdain for Mike Vrabel, the head coach, and my disappointment in the job that Marcus Mariota has done as the as the quarterback of that team and the supposedly the franchise quarterback. But after the Los Angeles Chargers, I think a team that possibly you could look to move in the in the and this is just a gut feel. This is just totally my opinion. But the team that I would look to move would be the Tennessee Titans. Wow. Okay. Okay, uh, Nicole Yang at Nicole C. Yang. Patriots rookie Joe Juan Williams estimates he invests 90% of his game checks. He's hoping to raise awareness about the importance of financial literacy. And his quote is, I'd rather live like a prince for the rest of my life than live like a king for my NFL career. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I have to applaud that young man. Um, 
I have to applaud that man for being different. I have to applaud that man that hopefully people are listening to him and learn something from him. You know, there's always, and I, and I don't mean to sound racist, but just think about this, folks. Most of the players, and it comes to the, the number of 73% of players in the National Football League happen to be of African-American descent. And you've heard the story how many times that young junior makes his first big NFL paycheck and mama gets a house and mama gets a car and uh, brother, you know, whatever, Tommy gets bailed out of whatever financial destitute he, destitution that he's involved with. They take care of the family. And then all of a sudden, if they don't make a second NFL contract, they're broke. Um, I love the forward thinking of this young man. He's still going to live very fine as an active NFL player, but he's just securing with his smarts and his intelligence and his forward thinking. He's solidifying his future, which I am very, very pre- pleased and honored to hear about. That's yeah. that's really something. Yeah, you talk about role models in sports. There There's you go. one right there. There you go. Yep. Okay, the onion at the onion. Archaeological dig uncovers ancient race of skeleton people. Is this true? No. (laughs) I was thinking maybe you found out the keys to the Packers' interior defense. I don't know. No, that's funny. Um, Um, No, I I didn't know about that. Okay, uh, Darren Rovell at Darren Rovell. Tom Izzo started as a part-time coach at Michigan State in 1986. His salary was $7,000. He was 31 and still being supported by his parents. His contract today pays him $10,844 a day. Yeah. And... um, he will die a Michigan State Spartan. Tom Izzo has had the opportunity to coach at many different uh, big-time college back, and and he's made Michigan's. I mean, Christ Almighty, Michigan State was rated number one coming into this season. They lost their opener in the in the State Farm Classic uh, last week at Madison Square Garden. They lost to uh, Kentucky, but. Um, Tom Izzo is is a genuine hero in East Lansing, Michigan. He's taken the Michigan State Spartans to, I believe, five or six Final Fours, has won a national championship in, I believe, in 2000 uh, with Mateen Cleaves, and I can't remember who else was on that team. He was an assistant under Judd Heathcote when uh, Magic Johnson was there and they were winning national championship with Magic Johnson and Greg Kelser and, and those great teams in the late 80s into the early, late 70s into the early 80s. Tom Izzo is an institution. Tom Izzo is an inspiration to a lot of people. Unfortunately, both Izzo and Mark D'Antoni, the football coach, Mark D'Antonio, the football coach, have run into a little bit of trouble with some of the off-the-field shenanigans of some of their athletes. You know, Michigan State is really under a microscope because of that goddamn Larry Nasser guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, because of Larry Nasser, some of these coaches are, are guilty by association because Nasser was a team docker, doctor for all, at one time, at all Michigan State sports. So obviously, Tom Izzo, Mark D'Antonio, they all know... Larry Nasser, and unfortunately, again, they're guilty by association. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Supposedly, sometime this week, D'Antonio actually will address the athletic board at Michigan State University about his role in a couple of his players uh, having some problems, uh, sexual issues, mm. in regard to 
you know, uh, detrimental toward women and, mm-hmm. and, uh, whatever. But, um, Tom Izzo is as classy as they get folks. He had an opportunity on many occasions to coach the Cleveland Cavaliers because our favorite owner in Cleveland, unfortunately, Dan Gilbert is a graduate of Michigan state university. Hmm. So they'll let anybody in at Michigan state is what I'm saying. <laughs> the onion at the onion. Man who skipped airport's moving walkway immediately realizes what an arrogant fool he's been. <laughs> I love the walkways. Yeah, yeah, I love the walkways. I like to walk and like feel I like, like, I, like, like to, <laughs> I like to walk and it makes you almost feel like you're walking on air, right? Or it's like uh, on uh, in Dumb and Dumber, you know, when they're driving down the highway and Jim Carrey. It feels like you're running at an incredible rate. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like I'm speed walking, yet I'm doing it in slow motion. Mm-hmm. It's really fun, and and uh, I know it's childish and stupid, but if you can't enjoy things, whether you're 25, 35, or 55, <laughs> go screw yourself. Yeah. Okay, so uh, some guy named Tank Commander Mara at Emperor Mara was responding to Field Yates at Field Yates. So Field Yates on Twitter said, I miss Odell Beckham Jr. And this other guy said, so do most of Baker Mayfield's throws. <laughs> Well, this Mara guy, just so you know, has some connectivity to the Mara family, which um, obviously they are the ownership family. They have owned the New York Giants probably since day one. I think it's a I think it's a parody account yeah. making fun of like making John fun Mara, of I right think. Yeah. exactly. And John Mara is the son, but his father famously is Wellington Mara, who was the original owner of the New York Giants football club. Um, I believe in my heart of hearts, and you may find this funny. But I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I believe one of the ways for the Cleveland Browns to improve next year is to trade Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, it's not working. It's not working. He expects to be the man, and the, he he's not getting an. He's not. They're not utilizing him enough. They're not. They're not uh, selecting him. What is it when they? They, they, they're not targeting him enough. That's the word I'm looking for. They have not used him to his full capacity. And then when you do that, ultimately you get the attitude and the growliness and the pettiness and all the bullshit associated. And having him in the locker room, when you don't fully utilize him to full capacity, that's when the problems have started. And I think this is going to be a lingering problem the rest of the year. And then ultimately OBJ will go over and hang out with his old LSU teammate, Jarvis Landry, and they'll poo-poo in the corner together. I think the best thing for the Cleveland Browns moving forward is to see what you could potentially get for an OBJ on the trade market. Yeah, and in case anybody disagrees with that, and any in case anybody thinks the Browns are using him correctly, I'll just point out that Odell Beckham this year has a grand total of four red zone targets, in ca- just in case you were wondering And the that. plays that he makes this year, he makes on his own. Yeah, like he had that like ninety yard touchdown which against was just the a Jets. little pass, right. and he did the rest of the work. Right, so. he's trying. OBJ, in fairness to him, and I'm not a big fan, he's trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Yeah, but so far the he doesn't have all the ingredients to make really good chicken salad. Yeah. Okay, so the great comedian Bill Burr at Bill Burr, who I love, I, I love assume. Him. Yeah, I'm sure love you've him. seen him. Yeah, he's great. So uh, and he's still alive too. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that one time I had forgotten Mitch, or didn't Mitch know Hedberg. that Mitch Hedberg has been gone for I don't know how many years, and Since, I still love Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, 14 years. 14 yeah. years, and Chris brought him into the Freeform Friday once, and, oh, yeah, I've heard this guy, and I thought he was still alive. He's been dead for 14 years. Way to stay on top of things there, MJ boy. Okay, so, uh, so uh, this is just about the discussion of celebrations in sports, because I've seen 
Uh, I've been watching some reaction videos on YouTube lately about guys who have never seen the NFL before. And they're like, the one the one Irish guy I was watching is like, do they get music in their helmets after they like sack the quarterback or something? Like what's going on there? Like, he's like, what is going on? They start dancing all the time. What it's got to look like weird for, you know, uh, a lot of people from around the world, but Bill Burr says cornerback just celebrated breaking up a pass the way I would celebrate if I were stranded on an Island and figured out how to build a boat. (laughs) I have no problem. Absolutely. With, um, these touchdown celebrations or, uh, when they sack a quarterback or they make an interception. But the problem I'm having is simply this, and it's not a huge problem, but I think it's something that, again, as we're striving to speed these games up a little bit, perfect example, Green Bay Packers a couple weeks ago. um, I I don't remember the scenario. I don't remember. I don't, but all I remember is everybody on the team ran to one end zone. I think that if you're going to celebrate on the field, it's got to be the 11 players on the field. Save the celebrations, team-wide celebrations for the sidelines when everybody's there. But again, we're trying to speed these games up, right? And it takes time to get 53 guys, 45 uniformed and eight in civvies. But regardless, the whole Packer roster went over to celebrate in the end zone. That's something that the NFL will probably look into. Because again, I have no problem with it, but I'm just trying to put myself in the in the shoes, if you will, of being Jane Goodell's husband for about five minutes. Um, the only thing I want to be in regard to Jane Goodell's husband is I want to be the receiver of his paycheck every two weeks. Uh, but having said that, I think that's something that the NFL needs to look at in regard to these team-wide celebrations on the field. If it happens when the defense is on the field, have the 11 guys on the defense have some fun. Alternatively, if it's the offense, have the 11 offensive guys have some fun. But you don't have time to have the whole team run onto the field. And I think that's something that will be addressed soon by the National Football League. All right. So there's this uh, gentleman here. I just want to get this right now. There's a long article, and I'd actually recommend that you and other people uh, check it out here. So uh, he's a professor at Oklahoma University, where the Sooners play. His name is Gerald Gurney. So this was tweeted by Jay Bilas, Bilas, how do you say Jay Billis. Jay he's Billis. the color commentator on basketball for ESPN. He's a Duke grad. Yeah, so uh, he's, he's a moron too. Yeah, but he tweets about this very smart-seeming professor who's an extra, uh, or pardon me, who's an expert on uh, getting paid in athletics. That's what he kind of has as a specialty. Okay, and he says amateurism is dead, and that the NCAA is the fox in charge of the hen house. So he was being interviewed on. Our Daily, no, sorry, no, sorry, OUDaily.com, <laughs> pardon me. I was like, what's this? Oklahoma Daily. Yeah, OU Daily, so Oklahoma University Daily. So he's being interviewed. It's a great, uh, you know, interview, probably take a few minutes to get through, but it uh, looks like a really good interview, and I'll just read the end here. So uh, the last question they asked this professor was, uh, and this is, of course, with pay-to-play and all this crap. And so this just follows up what we've talked about this week about the NCAA being full of shit and just being completely incompetent and corrupt and just a joke. Right. So they asked him, where do you see this going in the next five to ten years? And again, 
before this, he's had lots of amazing points from what I've seen here, but he ends with, I think the NCAA is going to implode under its own weight and greed. I think that they are treading very closely to having an employment relationship with the athletes and it becoming a professional operation for the most wealthy programs in the country and then an eventual split. In the meantime, the NCAA, which has a huge war chest for legal defense, will continue to fight this in the courts and they will be challenged every time. No matter what model the NCAA will come up with, trust me, the antitrust lawyers on the athlete side are going to take them to court immediately they will sue them, and this will go on and on and on until eventually the NCAA will implode. I couldn't agree with that individual anymore. Uh, I, I think he's right on, and what I would like to say is just simply this. I believe by the time that somebody puts me in the ground, the NCAA will no longer be around. Oh, that'd be nice. I really, truly believe that. I think that we are going to see either more expansion in the professional leagues to accommodate more athletes. Um, we may see more minor leagues, if you will, uh, you know, as a developmental leagues to the big boys. You might see, uh, I, I see a lot of scenarios where athletes are being paid um, and they work their way up to the big show in regard to the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. I truly believe by the time I get put in the ground, the NCAA will not be around. I just think they've shot themselves in the foot too damn many times, and there's so much dissatisfaction with it. And I like the analogy of them being the, the hen of the hen house, whatever that was. What I'm saying is even the hen gets shot and eaten sometimes. So I just believe, again, in, before I'm put in the ground, the NCAA will be long gone. Oh, that would be great. Okay. Well, we'll just end with this one then. So there's this comedy account I call I follow it's just a complete you know farce or whatever but it's some fake character named Barry McCockiner and uh, <laughs> and his <laughs> I could go a lot of yeah ways I know I know yeah and his <laughs> his handle is at sexy troop lover uh, oh God. but anyway so uh, someone tweeted at him hey say something funny and so he said my wife asked me if she was the only one I've ever been with I told her yes the others were all nines and tens <laughs> Oh my God, that's funny. Holy God, that's funny. Oh my God. I remember the first time I met Judy, 27, 28 years ago, 1993. So almost 30 years. She asked me how many women I've been with. And I was living in Las Vegas. I've been around the world in the military. My... Uh, my politically, I don't know if it's correct or incorrect answer. I'll rem I remember it like it was yesterday. I just said, I've been with enough women to know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's pretty good. That was my response. I've been with enough women to know what I'm doing. 27 years later, she's still hanging around. That's, so that's, that's pretty funny. My, my one friend, Ryan, and uh, I know a million Ryans, but one of them... Uh, not, 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 not Ryan, not Ryan Hall. Right. He's, uh, he, I think he's been with one or two. No, he's married twice. So I guess he's been with two women two. probably, uh, allegedly. <laughs> yeah. But. Oh, we're going to hear about that. Oh one. man. Are you sure? Anyway. Yeah. Well, he has to be tall enough to reach the keyboard. So I'm not sure. <laughs> <ch> <laughs> 
<laughs> Love you, buddy. Anyway, no. Uh, Respect I, the hell out of you, Ryan, yeah. but that was your fun buddy buddy there from Saskatchewan. That wasn't me. Uh, but anyway, no, a, a different Ryan yeah. uh, who uh, you've also met, I think, actually. Uh, this other Ryan. Uh, was that I, the guy that was... Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Our, our buddy, our buddy yeah. who lived here. Yeah, yeah so he, uh, he, <laughs> he's been with more than one woman. So that guy was, he was a good looking oh, dude. Oh, yeah. So when he was there earlier, and I'm not into guys like that, I'm just saying he, he would have no problem. Oh, I've never seen a guy just have women just walk up to right. him and just like, hey, <laughs> here's, my, here's my number. Yeah, hello. Yeah. Oh, here's my drawers. Oh, yeah. Literally, literally mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. but anyway, uh, even like in his early 20s, he'd been with, you know, yeah. uh, no, uh, more than his share. And uh, it was funny because he, he had it. So all of his buddies, they were all on the same page. It's like, okay, if any girl asks how many guy, how many, you know, girls I've been with, the answer is six. it's six and so like and they were all just like trained and so and but it was so it was so just ready to go the answer that you know i guess it was kind of suspicious like a girl would be like oh hey so uh buddy you've been oh yeah he's been a six like like, six just like that and so um are you sure he looks like nope six six yeah 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 yeah. it's like dirk you didn't you didn't ask me if that was tonight or for (laughs) my career you yeah yeah no it's like you're uh you know, <laughs> it's like your buddy when he talked about uh, your buddy Chris Rock, your G E D buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When, he, when he talks about, he talked about like uh, when a when a girl uh, when you ask a girl how many guys she's been with, she won't tell you that. She'll tell you how many boyfriends she's had. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, or like yeah. you know, or or oh, oh I, this time I was on vacation. That doesn't count. That doesn't that's another, count. That's yeah. another country. Right. I it thought you were talking about domestic dick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> G-E-D. Good enough development. Good enough diploma. Yeah. If a woman tells you she's 20 and looks 16, she's 12. <laughs> if a woman tells you she's 26 and looks 26, she's damn near 40. <laughs> oh, we've got to run. I wish we didn't have to, but we've got to run on this 423rd episode of Unscripted. A really great week of shows and a very, very fun Uh, especially the last five or ten minutes of this edition of Freeform Friday. And we thank Chris for that, for coming up with what he comes up with. Um, Thanks to everybody. Great week of shows. Thanks to Martina for allowing us to invade the house once a week and make all this noise. And she has to keep quiet. So I apologize uh, to her for that and thank her for that as well. Um, Having said all that, We thank all of you for participating. Certainly hope that you continue to do so. For the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.